You're listening to Music Tectonics. Hi, and welcome to the Music Tectonics podcast. I am your irregular host, Tristra New Year Jaeger, filling in for Dimitri Vitsa today. I am the writer and main strategist and that's a fun title to have, at Rock, Paper, Scissors. And this podcast is dedicated to exploring the wild world and big seismic shifts that we're seeing in the places where music and technology intersect. One of those places is uh, in music for picture, or what we often refer to as sync. And my guest today is Tanvi Patel, who uh, runs a sync firm and can tell us a bit more about exactly what she does. Um, and she is the CEO and owner of Crucial Music, um, has a longstanding um, career that is that involves sync and licensing and radio and all sorts of interesting aspects of music. Um, and so I wanted to bring her on to talk a bit about the exciting developments going on in Music for Picture and what that says about the way we... Uh, the way we use and listen to music, what that means for artists and labels, and just in general, it's just a fascinating and a growing little piece of the music revenue pie. So if you look at uh, so, you know, figures for where revenue is coming from in the music business, you see that sync is still a little tiny chunk, but it's a rather rapidly expanding chunk. So it's a very interesting space to keep an eye on, and technology is definitely having um, pretty uh, profound impacts on the way sync gets done and you know the sync opportunities out there. So, But first, Tanvi, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Trista, thank you for having me. So um, I, I know a bit about your, your past life, um, but I wanted you to share briefly just how you came to this interesting side of the music business and how Crucial Music was born. Well, I started in sync licensing um, as a result of working for a gentleman named Jim Long in his production music library called One Music which was around the year 2000 and um, he had a uh, distribution deal with a company called Firstcom, which is one of the um, biggest production libraries out there that so you were working with this you were part of a, a team that was working with this major production library that's correct and um, I worked for that's where I pretty much learned um, all the aspects of creating music specifically for film and television and advertising as well as uh, placing the music so I kind of did uh, had two hats a producer role as well as a salesperson. Um, and I worked uh, in that uh, arena with Jim until 2005 when he sold his share of the company to um, Universal and uh, moved to Los Angeles after the office was closed. And I was handling his other catalog, which was a classical music catalog, and finding opportunities for it as well for film, television, um, and advertising. And then uh, in the year that I was working the classical catalog, music supervisors were coming to me for uh, independent artist music. They said, you know, we love the classical, but do you have anything from independent artists that are, that's of great quality? And that was right about the time when the OC was using and breaking artists um, on their show and Grey's Anatomy as well. And so the need uh, for independent music had increased, especially with, speaking of technology, uh, at around that time, 2004, 2005, um, 
technology for independent artists uh, got better in the sense that they could create their own music in their garage, in their home studio, and it sounded just as good um, as material that had been created uh, by major labels in recording studios that cost thousands and thousands of dollars. So the supervisors had become more open because of the quality being so much better now. They had become open to using independent artists. And um, after a year of being asked about independent artists, uh, I mentioned the idea to Jim and he said, that's great, let's try it. So we launched Crucial Music in 2005 um, as an online service where we uh, received music by independent artists all digitally from the website. And then if we thought we could place it, we'd send them a contract and then it would go in the catalog and it would be um, hopefully pitched and eventually licensed. So there's an interesting curatorial element there. Um, how did you learn to hear what you thought super music supervisors might want to hear? Did you become sort of specialized in any way, shape, or form? Was there a direction you found you were or, or art, an artistic kind of dynamic you were more attracted to? Well, we took everything. And uh, how I actually refined my skills is just watching a whole lot of television and movies. So, I mean, I was watching three to four hours a night. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> it's, uh, it's there. I think there are a lot of Americans out there that would envy uh, making that part of their professional life. Though sometimes when you have to do it, it becomes uh, more, more uh, stressful <laughs> than relaxing. So amazing. What is, I mean, do you still practice that? Do you still listen to a, or listen to a lot of music by watching a lot of movies and, and TV shows and video? Uh, what's interesting, yes, is that um, it's actually not that long ago that I stopped watching every pilot that came uh, into the fall season. Uh, I, 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 there was a time when I watched every show, at least one episode uh, every fall to, to get an idea of what uh, the supervisor was looking for. Wow. Um, but I have over the last couple of years, I've, I've fallen back on that and I only end up watching the stuff that I want to watch, <laughs> but yeah. I think that's a result of really kind of knowing, um, you know, just years of that being ingrained in me and, and having worked with the same supervisors, uh, year over year since 2006, really knowing their tastes and also watching the trends, um, that, uh, in terms of what they're temping into their, television shows. So, you know, if they're right now, if they're temping in Chainsmokers or uh, Childish Gambino, you know, I, I tend to try to take material that sounds like those bands or is in that contemporary style. Awesome. So over the top, or, you know, streaming video on demand is exploding. And it seems like every day I read about a new service that's going to be coming online or, um, you know, expansion of original or exclusive content. Um, plus, a lot of these these services run ads against their their content. So I was curious how you keep on top of, you know, if you can give us some just sort of general um, overview of how you experience this big shift um, in technology and what kind of music or in general, just any of the trends that you're seeing from your perspective? For the sync community, it's fantastic that there are uh, hundreds of shows being produced now that are strictly Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, 
uh, Apple, Disney Plus, Facebook are all getting into the into the game as well. Um, and it, 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 it provides way more opportunities for sync licensing. The negative part of it is that there's still no money for these placements. So, you know, <laughs> the, bu- outside. <laughs> the, the budgets keep going down. So it's always a balance between, um, you know, the volume of activity versus the amount of money that you're getting. You know, you would think, oh, there's a hundred more shows and there's, you know, 2000 per spot. And, and that's not the case. So, you know, you, you think, oh, I'm going to make X, X number of dollars this year. And it's just, it's not proportionate. Uh, the growth in, in programming uh, doesn't reflect uh, in the growth of the fees. Um, and as a result, uh, there's also uh, numerous more um, music licensing companies. So sure, there's more opportunities, but then there's also more competitors as well. So you're, you're still competing for those same spots with everybody else, but now that playing field is much bigger. Interesting. And there's also, uh, at the same time, it seems like sync and a lot of um, the sort of back office stuff that music supervisors and showrunners do that involve, you know, that involves music licensing is still quite high friction, right? So there's a lot of back and forth, there are expiring offers and those kind of things that make it really tough sometimes to get things across the finish line. Um, I'm wondering if if there is, you know, as you're, as you're seeing the sort of the strange mix of like lots of competition and higher friction to actually com- complete these deals, if there's some solutions or workarounds or anything that you've come up with, that's, I mean, I don't want you to give away your secrets, but <laughs> if there, how have you been dealing with that, that, that sort of, there's sort of an old fashioned work um, method, pl- but you have this sort of highly digital, very fast paced, low budget um, kind of scenario. Yeah. You know, I wish there was a way technologically that you could get a a leg up in, in these uh, situations. Uh, Certainly it helps to have all your material online and easily searchable. And, and that helps for the speed of the delivery of, of material that fits for the spot. Um, but at the end of the day, really, it's it's old fashioned relationships. It's basic customer service sales skills, which is the early bird gets the worm, and you know, f- pitching material that's exactly on point is still what brings back your um, music supervisors. Uh, it keeps them coming back. So technology plays a portion of it in that. I have, I'm able to pull music f- fairly quickly um, using my website and the way we've tagged the, the material through metadata and, and, and listening to it obviously quickly and then providing that playlist where it's just a link away. You know, you, you send the email out, they click a link and they can immediately listen to it and download it. So it helps in the delivery of it and the speed of it, which then all goes back to the old fashioned principle of maintaining that relationship that you're known for, which is quality music with service. I think, I think setting yourself apart musically, like, oh, we have the greatest music ever, doesn't work. Uh, everybody, everybody has great music, literally. Out there, yeah. 
So it's not about um, that per se. It's about how you are as a, as a customer service rep for the music supervisor and honestly, how you're going to handle problems. You know, how, when a problem comes up, how does that get resolved? And, um, you know, are you the one that says, don't worry, I'll deal with that. Or are you the type of person that says, you know, that's not my fault. That's not my problem. Um, kind of scenario. Sure. So is there something that, that you deal with on a regular basis? Maybe it's data or licensing or anything really that you kind of wish the music world knew more about, um, artists knew more about or labels knew more about the sort of kind of issues that are nuts and bolts for you and your community, but may not be the most evident to, uh, outsiders. Right. It, 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 this may sound really, uh, simple, um, and I think it's simple, but having your music registered, uh, titling your music so that there's no, uh, like weird characters in the title of your song, you know, um, like live in with an apostrophe as opposed to living, yeah. um, you know, putting weird characters in it or, um, honestly having it longer than 30 characters title. Like uh, these are the things that are pretty simple. Um, and then registering your music and then making sure that all parties are um, registered, you know, Oh, I forgot, you know, we run into this all the time. Oh, I forgot there was a beat beats guy that uh, yeah, I, I forgot to put him on my registration. And, you know, that's, that's a problem because the, yeah. that's a, a person that is, has ownership in the, in the music as well. So you, you may, need to make sure that that's cleared. Um, and uh, so simple things like that, and those kind of mistakes that occur can keep you from making money, not on the front end, possibly on the front end. If you, if you don't have your, uh, if, a super, if a supervisor is working directly with you, like say, there's not somebody like a crucial music that's vetting all this stuff and making sure that it's all the T's are crossed and I's are dotted. If a supervisor, you know, comes across your music and then figures out that, Oh, you don't have your stuff together. Uh, you might lose the placement and, um, that's not good. The, uh, with the material not being, registered correctly, you know, that's, uh, lost money and you want to reduce the number of mistakes that could be made that could impede the revenue flow. Got so it. that's, that's, a, that's, you know, one thing that we come across also with working, having worked with labels is a lot of the times labels don't even know the full writer publisher information for the songs that they're working. And, you know, I would think if I, I mean, I had, I've worked at labels and when I've worked at labels, we certainly know, or I knew who the master owner was and who the publishing owner was and who the writers were. And, you know, it'd be better for labels to be organized in that fashion, especially when they're trying to get a, a, a sync representative. That makes a ton of sense. And that's an ongoing issue, I think, in so many uh so many sides of the of the business right now that it, <laughs> the the problem that you, especially if you're dealing with catalog that 
the the data just isn't there and if it's there it's very very messy and inconsistent so um, it's good to know that that's a worthwhile investment um, for sync as well as a bunch of other potential revenue makers so um, yeah then- I believe there are I believe there are um, new apps and websites that are now coming online that actually let you uh, document the um, participants at the recording stage. And yes. I, I, you probably know about those more than I do, but I have, uh, none are coming to mind right now, but I, I have read and seen those kind of applications. And hopefully that would be helpful in, you know, uh, having that, that information would be available from the get-go so that when it gets to uh, sort of the end of the process, which is sync licensing and commercializing the music, exploiting the music, that that material is is you know already taken care of. Yeah, there's a lot of um, new services like Cosigned and Jamber, and I think Viva Music has a plugin that even works in uh, your DAW, so that you can instantly just put down like you know if you're a producer, you may not you know you instead of just writing it on a scrap of paper or a napkin, you can actually put it with the file so it lives there. So I think there's a lot of work being done on that. And it'll be interesting to see what it's like in five to 10 years. If, you're, if your life is a little easier on that front, though, people may still throw in apostrophes or dollar signs where they shouldn't be. Right. And I hope in 10 years, um, I'm off to bigger and better things. <laughs> so, so speaking of like new directions and new things, I was curious if you've been noticing beyond this just pro- proliferation of, of video and therefore of music for picture opportunities, are there any new areas that you've noticed where sync opportunities are popping up? Um, you know, I'm thinking about in the audio world, there's things like fitness equipment. Um, there's all sorts of crazy, interesting new applications where music's kind of woven into a product where it never would have been before, say two years ago. So I was wondering if you're seeing anything like that in your world. Yeah. Uh, every once in a while we'll get, uh, uh, requests for music, uh, for, uh, the fitness world, um, for example, um, uh, uh, Peloton is, is one. And I, I don't know if you've heard about Peloton's recent problems, but, yeah. um, you know, their, their music is very integral to their programming and, and, you know, making sure that the music is licensed correctly by all parties involved is a, is a huge issue, especially on commercial music. Um, you know, not so much a problem when it comes to indie artists one stops because uh, if a company like that comes to uh, our company, uh, we have everything buttoned up and, you know, we can sign off on a deal where they can use as much as they want um, sort of scenario. Um, we had an interesting, we did an interesting deal as a result of my a relationship with Amazon uh, Studios. Um, one of the supervisors there recommended us for their um, new platform that they were launching. It was a sort of a customer service platform. So if you, for example, you know, sell widgets and uh, somebody calls in, you know, requesting information about your widget, um, that entire customer service process was being out, it can be outsourced to Amazon. And um, 
in that process, uh, while uh, Amazon provides the personnel to take the phone calls, they also, as part of this package, provided the on-hold music. So you call in, you're put on hold until customer service person answers that is part of the Amazon business product. And that music uh, happened to be licensed from Crucial Music. So they came to us and said, you know, we have five or six categories of music that uh, we would like to offer our business clients. And so they would have a con adult contemporary channel or an alternative pop channel or a jazz channel. And if you could, we would like to license 10 songs in each channel so that those songs would just be on automatic rotate uh, whenever a, a customer called. So that was, an, that was a very unique opportunity uh, that we got to participate in um, that was as a result of a new technology or a new service, well, service technology-based service since it's Amazon, um, that was sort of outside of what we normally do, which is the film and TV. Well, that's really interesting. And it, it makes me think of uh, one more question before I like, I want to hear about your favorite recent placement. But before I ask, that made me think about automation. And people talk a lot about um, artificial intelligence, um, algorithmic, alg algorithmically generated music, and how it may be uh, easing in on the business of production libraries. And I was wondering, you know, you, you um, launched a platform where brands could seek out crucial, um, could be a crucial could seek out custom uh, pieces for advertising or for a special spot. Um, and I, and I was wondering if you're coming from that perspective, is it, do you feel like there is something to be said for, um, custom made music and what it can offer in, in terms of just spirit and interest and, um, you know, just setting itself apart from what may be, what may become kind of the music of the 21st century with some of these algorithmically generated musical pieces. I just wanted to kind of see if you had any thoughts on that. I'm so old school. <laughs> I just like think this, you know, uh, I try to put my head in the sand when it comes to these things, because I really believe that the humans, there's nothing that can replace the human spirit of creativity. Absolutely nothing. And if you have an AI creating a piece of music, it's going to sound like an AI did it. Humans are very adept at picking up on that over time. So it'll be interesting to hear how a generation from now people hear that music. Um, yeah, that's a good good point. And I think if, if brands want to provoke emotion, um, they need to have somebody feeling something <laughs> while they're making the music. So it's going to be, we'll see how that plays out. But um, so now is, I always love asking people about what they've been listening to or what's a favorite um, a favorite recent placement that you're really proud of. So can you tell me a bit about uh, some music that you placed that you thought was just the perfect fit or the ad was really successful or just some other, it was really interesting for another reason? Yeah, so uh, we get placements weekly and most of them, I, uh, since my TV viewing has decreased and my theatrical <laughs> viewing has decreased. I, I don't get to see a lot of the material that were placed. Um, even though I watch a lot more television in the things that I want to watch. So I have no idea where the disconnect here is. However, 
the one uh, the one I can recall that I got excited about actually was last. It might have been a couple of weeks ago, but I watched it on on demand. Was um, in The Handmaid's Tale, and it was in episode three hundred seven, and we had a request that came in for a, a very specific string quartet uh, version of, uh, of something similar to a tango or that could be that a tango could be done to a string quartet piece of music. And um, we had uh, something that worked, but it wasn't the exact instrumentation. It had more instruments than what they were requiring. And um, most of the time, you don't know if this is going to be a visual or if this is going to be a background source music. It's going to be five seconds. It's going to be a minute. You really have no idea. But we reached out to the artist who uh, quickly, and, and I believe this artist is in the UK, uh, quickly um, turned around the mix exactly the way the, the production needed it. And, and then, you know, we didn't, we didn't hear anything. And then, you know, um, a few weeks later, we found out that the song was getting used and that was great. And then it aired and I, I watched it and I was like, Oh my God, that is so beautiful. They, it was a, it was the Waterfords. I don't know if you watch the show, but you know, there's this couple that's at the center of this show and the Waterfords were at this ball and they, uh, perform this, the actors perform this exquisite tango to our piece of music. So that was, um, that made me smile, you know? Yeah. Yeah, It's great to see that, especially when you had to go the extra mile, that it was not just like a, someone listening to the radio in the background for a few seconds or something. That's amazing. Exactly. And then they scored it, you know, it was like a, about a minute usage uh, approximately. And then they s- went into a score that made it a little bit more dramatic. So once the score kicked in, our track was, you know, faded out, but it, it was certainly a long uh, usage that was feature. And I like to see that kind of stuff happen for our artists. Yeah, that's really cool. How do you um, counsel? It seems like you've got a strong relationship with your artists. Uh, do you have any advice you give them about what to do once that placement comes in? Uh, when the placement comes in, normally the week before, I will let the artist know uh, that it's airing. Sometimes we get airings and we don't know about them until months after. So that's kind of difficult. Um, unfortunately, at the speed and the rate that we're working at, I don't really have time uh other than just to let them know that something's getting used, we kind of leave it in their hands as to how they want to promote it. Um, you know, they're, they're more than welcome to go to Instagram or, or Twitter or, or Facebook and, and say, Hey, check out my music. Many of them do have um, viewing parties and sometimes it, uh, you know, every once in a while it happens that I've let them know that something got used and then it, either was so buried in the background that nobody could hear it at their viewing party, or, you know, I wasn't told at the last minute that uh, before it aired that they, they took the, the, the scene out or they took the piece of music out or so sometimes that happens. And, you know, I feel bad. <laughs> you know, I'll get an yeah. email. It wasn't in there. It's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. It was, it was just buried. 
in publicity, we face the same thing. So you'll set up a long interview and everyone's so excited. And then it's like a little quote from somebody, you know, <laughs> it, it is, I think the struggle is real in a lot of different lines of work where you can't really control the final product. So, um, well, cool. So I, what, one thing I think is a good takeaway though, Tanvi, that you shared was that you guys are busy. Music soups are busy. Everybody needs to do their own promotion. And it's really key for artists to have a plan if they're going into the sync world to really think about how they would use um, the opportunity of a placement. So um, I think that's a point well taken. Absolutely. Uh, you know, even uh, it's not just artists, companies, as uh, our, our own company, like my company as well. It's like, I think I, I, uh, promotion and marketing is probably the last thing I do. Um, I mean, my website hasn't even been updated with recent placements lately. And, you know, it's one of those things. <laughs> no, it's like the last thing on the list. If you're running, if you're running a business, it can be a lower priority, if, especially if the business is coming, is doing well and, you know, work is coming in. Exactly. Uh, I know it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, um, as you were saying, it's a relationship business. So if the relationships are there, the website, you know, the shingle hanging outside the building doesn't have to be as fancy. So, well, um, it, it doesn't have to be fancy, but it does have to, it doesn't have to, it does have to look professional. And, uh, you know, I think that, I think that if you're, whether you're a licensing company or you're an artist, um, or you're a record label, if somebody, you know, comes to your site and it looks like MySpace circa, 2005, uh, the legitimacy of who you are just goes out the window. Um, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me about what you do and how sync works and how sync is changing. Um, for those of you that didn't hear my first intro, this is Music Tectonics. Um, we are a podcast, we are a blog, and we are also a conference that's coming to Los Angeles in late October, where we'll have a lot more interesting conversations about all the facets and wild nooks and crannies in the, uh, how should I say, in the fault lines and the huge peaks that are rising out of the collision of the plates of music and, and technology. Okay, I'm, I'm getting letting the metaphor get away from me, but you should really check out our website um, where we have a lot of other really fascinating podcasts and um, other interesting guests with unique perspectives. And you can find out all about the conference in October, buy tickets and do all that fun stuff there. So musictectonics.com. I'm Tristan New Year Jaeger of Rock, Paper, Scissors. And thank you again, Tanvi. Um, Tanvi Patel is the CEO and full owner of Crucial Music. Thanks so much. Thank you, Trista. All right. Thanks. You're listening to Music Tectonics.